Wow, that was fast. We have to come back on, Blake, because apparently we were talking about old news last time. We talked about Frank DeBoer could get fired, and by the time we released, he had already gotten fired. What is that? I think it's pretty awesome. Some would say we predicted the future. I guess we just got to run another show. Yeah. Welcome back, AT Aliens. We're AT Aliens United Podcast. I'm Blake, the Marsh Man. I'm joined by my co-host, who's now we're on a Zoom meeting. He's not wearing a shirt right now. What's up with that, man? Why are you not wearing a shirt? We didn't just score a goal. I'm at the beach, man. You got to be shirtless at the beach. Funny thing, I just saw Frank DeBoer out here too with his wife and family. I guess he's got nothing to do right now. Early vacation for Frank DeBoer. Let's get a quick word from Miles. I'm Miles Robinson. Hello to all my AT aliens. Hey Blake, welcome back to the show, and I guess we gotta address the elephant in the room. Let's talk about this Frank debacle. Yeah, or you could say the bore in the room. That that might be the cheesiest joke I've ever made because no one ever says we got to address the boar in the room, like a wild boar yeah, with like tusks. I, I mean, I would be pretty scared if there was a boar in the room. I know that I, I'm actually, I'm actually in a new house right now. I have no furniture. And if uh, there was a wild boar right behind me, I think that might be more terrifying than an elephant. Well, I guess you could say Frank was the boring. But um, your dog didn't even think that was funny, Joe. Not even your dog thought that was funny. We got to talk about the elephant in the room, the boar in the room, whatever you want to call it. Frank DeBoer with some trophies to his name. His Atlanta United tenure has been cut much shorter than anyone anticipated. And let's let's go on the record here. This hasn't been an official termination. They said that this was a mutual parting of ways. Is that just fluff, Joe? Is that just is that just PR spin? You know, I imagine it this way where they're saying it. Frank comes home from the tournament and, you know, Darren Eels is all buddy-buddy with Frank and he, like, doesn't want to let Frank go. They're good friends. But Frank was, like, in the room with, with Darren with his head down. He's like, I, I just I got to go. I, I know I'm just that bad. And, and and Darren's like, hey, buddy, you're not that bad. You can stay with us. You're, you're good. It's okay. And he's like, DeBoer out. I, I lost it. I'm no good anymore. Like, all depressed. And he- I mean, honestly, it's it's just one of those things that – you could kind of see the writing on the wall. And I think the front office saw the opportunity with this second gap in our season, this this second gap where we don't have playtime, that it was kind of now or never. We were either going to let DeBoer go or we were going to stick with him through the end of the season, continue to snowball what was becoming a terrible play style. And I think, I think they just cut their losses and said, even if we don't have another coach ready, to bring in, which we clearly don't because we named an interim coach and we'll get to that in just a few minutes. But I, I think we just said it's now or never. We, we cut them now and, and we got the rest of the season to rebuild. 
but they're kind of admitting that the season might be lost. And so I think that's a really big talking point is, is the season lost with an interim manager with Frank DeBoer going out? We just lost three games in a row and didn't score a single goal. Are we going into like a rebuilding phase or are we saying we don't rebuild, we're going to reload and we're going to get a new coach in quickly. That's, that's what I'm most interested in. in this whole, and this whole development is, is our front office reacting or are they building and do they have a plan for a manager already? We can speculate on that here in a few minutes. Well, Blake, I think uh, you bring up a good point and now I'll, I'll be serious on this and, and take all joking aside. I think the front office pulled a power move here and, and they showed a sign by firing Frank DeBoer and, and showing that it was unsatisfactory. The style of soccer was playing, the lack of goals we were scoring, and it was not exciting football anymore. We kind of got away from what Atlanta United did best, and that, that's why they put butts in seats, or really butts in, above seats while everyone's standing for 90 minutes. But putting people in the stands is, is what we did best, and they were excited and loved the, the game. And they saw that we just got too far detached from that. And then t- topple that on the fact that it's coming into the summer signing window and this is maybe the perfect time to fire a coach and try to hire a new one being that the European model, they go on a big break over the summer and it's in between seasons. Now is a time when most coaches are available and when all the top teams are looking for their next new manager, it couldn't be more perfect of a time to fire Frank DeBoer and go out and try to sign your new coach who hopefully will stick with us for more than two years. You know, we haven't had good luck with that yet, but regardless of it sticks with more than two years or not, I hope we bring in a a new exciting attacking style coach. That's going to be able to rally the troops and bring the team together and bring back that high attack, exciting football to us. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting Joe about this year about what's happened, about what's transpired. Uh, I was actually reading a really excellent dirty South soccer article about our fan culture and kind of how it's evolved over time. You know, and, and we came in, and and honestly, Darren Eels, Carlos Bocanegra, they, they really tried to bond with the city. They were out at every single team event. Uh, they, were, they were interacting with the fans. They were really building this culture of Atlanta United. And that, and that culture in the stadium, that, that culture in the stands, translated directly to... It translated directly to our actions on the pitch. I felt like our team matched the identity and, and our fan base was, was right behind that. I don't think Frank DeBoer ever clicked with Atlanta. There's been new reports that have come out that players didn't just walk off the pitch for practice. They didn't just walk off once. They walked off the pitch multiple times. Uh, and that was reported from The Athletic. And, and you know, Darren, Darren Eels had to see this happening. I mean, you, you can't be where Darren Eels is at and not see players walking off the pitch in the middle of practice. Like there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes, but Frank DeBoer never really clicked with the city. I, I don't think he ever clicked with the fans. And, and, and I honestly, I, he definitely never clicked and meshed with his players. So when you don't mesh with the city, mesh with the fan base or mesh with your players, it's really just a ticking time bomb. And I think the two trophies that he won was like, just a, a little tiny piece of scotch tape over a giant hole in the boat. And it held up for a little while. But when you take the pandemic and you took the fan energy out of it, his product on the field was was just garbage. We had nothing left. Yeah, it, like you bring up a good point. And I love that we brought two more trophies. I mean, the U.S. Open Cup gave us a berth into the Champions League. And then winning against the Mexican side 
that no MLS team has done in that type of fashion in the in the uh, Campeones Cup. That was very great, fun, and exciting. But if you want to look at the greater picture of things, you know, our road to the the CONCACAF, or sorry, the U.S. Open Cup Championship, we didn't really play anybody. We played a couple USL sides, and then we beat a really bad Orlando. In, Atlanta, in Orlando, it may have been our best win, actually, because we were missing Joseph that game, and that was actually maybe I thought we should have done the blueprint of how we should have gone to Orlando again, but we did not follow that blueprint where we played Pity and Barco as double false nines. But that was one win, and then we played against Minnesota United, and that was uh, the toughest challenge we had. And honestly, that game, we we won in good fashion, but it was a very close two-to-one game, so it wasn't much competition. And then the Campionas Cup was just a one-game-at-our-house type of game. And, and yeah, we won that game with reserve players, but, you know, one game, anything can happen. So the two trophies he won – Yes, they're in the trophy case forever, and we got it. But honestly, like they, they didn't really make that big of a statement all said and done. Yeah, and, and, and when you look back at his, his record, it's not the worst, but I think it wasn't fun. And I think what attracted so many people to Atlanta United originally, our, our fan base, was we had a fun team. We were fun in the stands. We were fun on the pitch. And that South American... More beer showers. More beer showers. That South American flowing, free, expressive football that we displayed, that kind of went by the wayside for this really pragmatic, slow-paced, high possession still, but very slow less build Less beer showers. lot less, less beer showers. And, and, and I think our front office tried. Our front office tried to evolve. They, they didn't try to change everything. They tried to evolve. They, they brought in a respected European coach who had built up an academy in the Netherlands at, at Ajax. And... They thought he could bring that model here. The problem was we, we were not Ajax. We don't have gr- the greatest youth systems in, in the United States yet. And so yet, yet but, but instead we, we dropped off and we brought in the South American player of the year with a Dutch coach whose styles clashed immediately. And, and I think that if, if Frank DeBoer wasn't our coach when Petey Martinez was brought in, I think we might see a totally different Petey today. It seemed to have zapped him of his confidence uh, his frustration is very clear on the pitch. Obviously, he's walked off multiple times at practice. But, man, it, it just – you got to mesh with the fans and you got to mesh with the players, and I'll go back to that. Uh, and if you guys want to check it out, and not affiliated with 30 South Soccer in any way, but it's called Atlanta United in Disguise is the article. Uh, it really breaks down just Frank DeBoer's lack of connection with the entire club. So, you know, there's a lot of problems. I think we made the right call, and I think we made it at the right time. And that's all That's all else I'm going to say about Frank DeBoer. Thank you for bringing us two trophies. Thank you for giving us a few laughs, uh, especially with your press conferences. Uh, and, and, and I got nothing good to say about how you, how you talked about the fan base or how you, how you treated your players. But Yeah, you know, all, all I got to say is bye. Yeah, the book is closed, the chapter. We were flipping the page, and we're on... And Atlanta United, the crest and the fan base in the city still remains. So where do we go from here? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, so in the meantime, we did hire an interim coach in Stephen Glass. Currently, he was the head coach of Atlanta United 2. He's in charge of our development and wants to be the guy that, that brings in the youth of the team and develops them, pushes them on to Atlanta United 1. And he's going to be that coach for the long term. Stephen Glass is, is set in in stone as our Atlanta United 2 coach, except for cases like we have right now. 
So in the meantime, we're, he's there as we go and search for our potential new replacement for Atlanta United. And Blake, this is something I love to do in my my spare time. I love to speculate, search the internet, listen to other rumors, listen to what people have to say, and go research myself on rumors of what Atlanta United's future looks like, whether that be a player or a coach. And we got uh, coaching rumors right yeah, now. Before we dive into coaching rumors, let's talk about an interim manager and, and, and this interim manager in particular. I've done a lot of reading up on Stephen Glass. I was very familiar with him when he was with the twos. You know, this is a guy that has a pretty excellent pedigree to, to be a major head coach one day. You know, he, he came up, uh, he, he's from Scotland, came up from the football island, if you will. And he grew up uh, playing professional soccer. Um, started way back in 94 with Aberdeen. And he played for clubs like Newcastle United and Watford, who you've seen in the Premier League recently. And he played for the Scotland national team as well. Um, had a couple appearances there. He managed Shamrock Rovers as an assistant from 2012 to 2014. He took three years away from football. And then he's been the Atlanta United 2 manager for the last three years. So he has a great relationship with our front office. And sometimes with interim managers, interim managers do have a shot at at least interviewing for the job. If he comes out and really does well and really gets us back to the play style that we need. So I, 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 don't, I think it's like a 10% chance right now. But as we speculate on coaches, I don't want to throw Steven Glass out the window because who knows, a lot of times, I mean, if you look back at even major clubs in Europe, Kenny Dalglish for Liverpool, he came as an interim manager. He ended up managing them for two years. Club legend, ended up passing the torch off to Brendan Rodgers. I'm using Liverpool as an example because I love Liverpool. Uh, another great example is, is Zinedine Zidane. He came on Real Madrid as an interim manager and he is still their manager. He took a short break, but he's led them to the most Champions League trophies in his tenure of any Real Madrid manager ever. So an interim manager sometimes can turn into a permanent manager, and I just don't want to throw, I don't want to throw Steven Glass out the window yet as we speculate. Let, let's see what he can do. Blake, thank you for that detailed background on Steven Glass, and that just shows how good of a counterpart you are to me. You come up with the actual rock solid details while I go into the deep speculation and what ifs we make a good team that way sometimes sometimes Joe we have our moments yeah but hopefully Steven Glass can do something and and really bring the team back together before we get a uh, our new coach into the mold and maybe he can just start building that chemistry and 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 developing the players the way they should be developed in the short term but in the long term we need to hire a new Coach, and, and Blake, I did a couple of research and I compiled all the rumors out there, available coaches, and I put a small list together of my dream list of coaches that I want to see. And I'll be a little upset if Atlanta United doesn't go out and get one of these guys. But in the long run, once we sign a guy, you know I'm probably going to be head over heels thinking he's the best guy in the world. Uh, but in the short term, let's go over this list. And, and to start with my mindset – I want to get back to – this is the same mindset I had when Tata Martino left. And I was thinking we're bringing in – before the debacle came in, before we had to know who Frank DeBoer was in his style, and I started defending him during the season, this is the, this is the checklist I wanted to go over. Is he from South America? I wanted to be specifically from Argentina. I'll take any South American, but specifically Argentina. Does he have a good history track record 
with teams that he's played for, hopefully at a high caliber, at least in the top leagues of Argentina, maybe, but, but maybe even more so the top leagues in Europe. Is he going to play a high attacking flashy style of play? Is he going to let his players turn loose and run, do that little fun and gun offense? And the final thing I really want to see, is he an older guy kind of in the mold of Tata Martino? This is a new one that because of DeBoer, I want to know all the players called Tata Martino. I forget the name that they called him, but they called him the grandpa. And he was basically like the grandfather of the team. Can we get another guy in the mold of the grandfather or maybe the uncle, the fun uncle, but just an older player and maybe from Argentina? So I want to start my list off. Current head coach of of Boca Juniors, Alfaro Gustavo. And Blake, before I talk about him, I want to know, do you know this guy and do you have any opinion on him? Uh, Well, I know Gustavo Julio Alfaro, uh, Argentinian footballer. And he's currently a manager, and he's had quite the management career. One thing I've noticed about him as as he's bounced around in his career, which started in management back in 1992, is that he's been with over 10 different clubs, and he normally stays for a year or two with great success before he moves on to his next project. What's interesting is he joined Boca Juniors in, in 2019, so I don't know, Joe. Is he looking for a new job? And he does fit that mold. He's 57 years old. I, I like this guy. I really do from everything I've read. And the best thing you said there, uh, it's not, it doesn't fit my list of, I want him to be a long-term manager, but the fact that he, he goes to a club for two years or so and moves on, that is very Tata Martino esque. You know, if you go back and look at Tata, he would go for two years at each different club or one stint with the national team, which is four years and then move on to his next project. Well, it turns out Alfaro Gustavo and Tata Martino are actually close friends. And then also, the reason I, I like to put him on this list, he has been linked with the MLS before, and he stated in, into the news articles that he wants to move to the MLS at one day, and he was linked with Chicago Fire this past winter offseason. The deal fell through, and he stayed at Boca Juniors. But I think the connection that he has with Tata Martino, the fact that he wants to move to the MLS He's from Argentina, and he's had pretty good success at Boca Juniors and some of the other places he's been. I think this would be a great move. Yeah, and I mean, he's had some he's had some really good success. I think that something that's interesting is that one thing that he has been criticized from, from a Boca Juniors perspective, and this is just reading about kind of a Boca Juniors fan perspective, is a lack of clear game identity for his team. And so that is something we could potentially be concerned about he did win the 2018 Argentine Super Cup. Um, he lost the 2019 Super League Cup in Cordoba, and that's where a lot of the criticism came from. But he's still got a really great record at Boca Juniors. He's, he's got a 54% win percentage. His overall record is, is 27 wins, 16 draws, 7 losses. One thing that stuck out to me is he's got a plus 43 goal differential in his current managerial role. 71 goals scored, uh, only 28 goals allowed. So high attacking, lots of goals. I think this could be something that that brings back that Tata Martino style if we decided to bring him in. Yeah, very good. So th- that's one guy high on my list. Another guy that would be very high on my list and and who I don't know if, if we can get him, but that would be Boca Juniors' number one rival, River Plate, and Marcelo Gallardo. You know, he, he grew up in the MLS, played for D.C., um, 
And he was also linked with Inter-Miami this last winter, kind of like Alfaro Gustavo was linked with Chicago. So these are two guys that have, have been linked to the MLS. And then the other fun fact about Gallardo, he was the head coach with Petey Martinez. So it could be a guy that could come in and get the best out of Pity, something we really desperately need right now. And then my favorite thing that I see about him is he's been a long stay at River Plate, and he's shown great success there. And with the Argentine background, he's a little bit younger than I want, but I still think he'd be a guy that can rally all the the young talent we have around him and really show that uh, he is a strong coach and he can make a stronghold in the MLS. Yeah, with I mean, a good he's team. been there since 2014, and he's done a great job. Um, he, he's by far currently, you know, the most the most successful River Plate manager of all time. And he's only 44. And so he's got a ton, a ton of room to build here and, and, and stay for the long term. 44 years old, been with his current club over six years, bringing that style in. Yeah, another, another Argentinian. And, and man, I really do feel like his, his record and his experience uh, you know, he represented Argentina in two different World Cups as a player and then coming in as such a successful coach. This would be a coup. This would be a huge get for our club. And that MLS experience, I think, does tie back into it. He also played for PSG. He played for Monaco. He played a lot of games for River Plate. Uh, he, he actually transferred to River Plate three different times in his playing career. Um, and, and, like, they sold him to Monaco and then they bought him back and then they sold him to PSG. And he went to DC United, and then they bought him back. So they kept wanting him back. This is a River Plate legend. He'd be tough to pry away from him, but man, it would be. It, it, he's my favorite. True. You mentioned of the two so far. Would be a great get. Yeah. So clearly, he he looks like he's at his dream job, and he could be River Plate for life until they they decide to fire him. But if we were able to pull him away and get him to the MLS, I think that'd be great. Uh, but moving on to someone that's more uh, of a not so much of a reach and someone I really think would be good. And I honestly didn't have any idea about this guy until I started reading the rumors. So I got to give full credit here to Joe Patrick, who does a great job covering Atlanta United. I am a fan of him. And he brought this up. uh, He talked about it on his show, or he even wrote about it uh, online too. But this guy, Gabriel Hintze, and I, I don't really know how to pronounce it, but... It looks like Heinz, but it's more like a Hintze in their Spanish language. He comes from Velez Sarsfield, and he is a student of Marcelo Bielsa, just like Tata Martino, and he kind of fits the exact mold that we're looking for. And he came from this Velez team that was maybe a middle of the table, not ever pushing for any tournaments, and he built them up from the middle of the pack to top four year in and year out with his high style kind of leaves a little bit to be wanted on the defensive end, but we have a pretty good defensive stronghold and a good goalie to start with. So this could be a really good signing, and, and I really like the idea of another Argentine-style coach to bring into the fold, and I think that he's very possible that we can get oh, this Oh, I was going to say, what, what a great time to scoop him up. He's, he's the only guy we've mentioned so far without a job currently, and that was on his own. He made that decision on his own to not continue even after he he got back-to-back qualifications for the Copa Sudamericana, which is huge. Uh, he just chose not to continue past the 2019-2020 season. So he's just taking some time off. I think he's going to come back refreshed. 
And, and this could be a great get. I mean, this guy as a player had over 70 appearances for the Argentinian national team. Great resume, great background. I, I, he checks all the boxes for me. I don't know why all our focus wouldn't be on him right now. Yeah, and, and that that's what I like. I like those top three as very gettable, doable coaches. Uh, I mean, Gallardo might be a little bit of a reach, but I still think we can get him. And then I got one more guy on the list. I mentioned him during our last episode. And just the fact that he is available and, and he is the top available coach in the world right now, I have to put him on the list. And I hope that Atlanta United get him. And if we got this guy, it would be at the same exact level as how we got Tata Martino to start our MLS career. And that would be Mauricio Pochettino. He was formerly sacked by Tottenham. Very big long shot. He's linked with Barcelona. But oh my God, he is a great coach. And he it would put Atlanta United back on the map instantly. And before I let you talk, Blake, there is a little caveat out there. He had an interview with ESPN FC after he did his little tour throughout the MLS this past offseason. And they asked him about pl- playing and coaching, not playing, but coaching in the MLS. And his response was, of course, I see myself in the MLS one day. So so it's a possibility. There's a chance out there. If we get Pochettino, it's a huge success. It's a win. We already won the MLS Cup. Yeah, I, I really I – I'm not even going to dive into to Pochettino. He's he, I, In my opinion, he's just a caliber above right now. I think he's the number one managerial candidate for any club around the globe uh, linked to Barcelona – I, I just don't think we're on on par with Barcelona yet, Joe. And and I, I do I do obviously as an Atlanta United fan think this would be the most miraculous and amazing signing of all time. But I just I, I'd give it. I I would actually say we have a lot higher chance of Stephen Glass remaining our coach after being the interim manager than 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 Poch coming over here. But I do love it. Let let the, let the rumors right. flow. I love I love the speculation. If it happens, like if it happens. If it happens, I vow right now that I will do a live feed video of me taking a beer shower from a keg. No, nah, you got to do more than that. We need a tattoo. You got you got to get a Mauricio Pochettino <laughs> tattoo. You'll see. I think I think it's possible we can get him, and I don't want to get a Pochettino yeah, tattoo. Yeah, but it's not like any any writing. It has to be like an actual portrait of him on your back. That that's. A portrait of Pochettino a, on I'm my gonna, back. I'm not going to speculate him. the size. It could be very small, but that, that's what I want you to agree to. It'll be worth it. Just go ahead. Just just agree to the to the bet. And Okay, and if we sign him, I'll get the same tattoo. All right, if you get the tattoo and I get the – all right, if, if we sign Pochettino, we're going to do a podcast tattoo together of Pochettino on our back. That's correct. Well, well, I got a drink to that, Blake, and you know what? It's perfect time. I need a beer. Beer the way! Every week. And this week, Joe, we got one of our sponsors, Terrapin Beer, has released a new beer. It's been canned. It's just for baseball season. I know you'll love this one. I've been getting into baseball recently. You'd be proud of me. Los Bravos, Mexican-style lager. Perfect for watching baseball. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, I love it. Uh, I love it. I love the Braves. Love me some Los Bravos. This is a great name of a beer. Let's crack it in and see how it tastes. Hey. Hey. Oh. Honestly, it's the only sport going on in the city right now. And 
man, was it tough watching Soroka tear his Achilles the other night. That broke my heart. I needed yeah, a beer right awful. after that. I'm a. Uh, Why is every Atlanta sports team's losing their best player to a foot injury, a leg injury? This is not good. I I hope to God Julio Jones does not go down with some sort of of leg injury. I'm probably just put that bad juju out. I take it back. I'm gonna just go ahead and sip this beer and take that out of the sky. Yeah, Los Bravos. It's a great lager. It's pretty high alcohol for a lager, five point one percent. It's uh. It's it's perfect for any sort of fiesta, uh, and and there haven't been a lot of fiestas recently. So uh, you know, I, honestly, we ordered we ordered Mexican food last night. We got some takeout. Los Bravos is the perfect beer to pair with Mexican food in the summer, and I'm glad we have baseball back. It's a good distraction, but it's just not the same without being in the stands. And yeah, and I I do think that this beer brings me back to, yeah, you know, I can I can get down with a little. We'll chop on a little Los Bravos. There we go. You know, yeah, I, I'm a big fan. This beer is is really good, and it kind of goes on the trends of a lot of the local craft breweries are kind of getting back into the lager brewing of of the days. You know, there used to be a big kick on IPAs, and then it, it briefly switched to sours. And now there's a lot of breweries trying to make their own perfect lager, and, and this is a really good one too. This would be a great beer to drink at the river all day long or tailgating all day long. It's another great tailgating beer out there. I hope we can one day tailgate again, Blake, because I, I miss that. Until then, it's a perfect hooch shooting beer. If you guys haven't shot the hooch yet this year, uh, you can socially distance on the hooch. You just can't get off at the beaches and, and party with all the crazy people. But uh, nice beer to take down a tube on the river on a hot day. You know, man, I just, I just every time I, I drink a beer like this, I just... I just crave fajitas. So we're going to have to move on before it gets too much longer, Joe. I'm, I'm starting to get started. Can't, can't move on from Los Bravos, Blake. The, the Bravos are the only ones that are keeping me at least mildly entertained while Atlanta United hasn't played a single game in the past month. You know what else can keep us entertained, Joe? We're talking about rumors. Everyone loves rumors. I love rumors. It's a great album, by the way. Uh, let's let's talk about some transfer rumors of some players that might join Atlanta United in this new summer of change. Well, well Blake, before we talk about that, let, let's talk about the ones we just completed too. Unless you want to be like our last podcast where we talk about rumors that have already happened. Well, yeah, but between the time we record this and when we release a couple hours later, I'm sure there'll have been like five breaking news stories that just randomly pop up and, and will be old news. Jonathan again. Gonzalez. Yeah. Oh, hopefully. But before we talk about, but before we talk about Jonathan Gonzalez, let's, let's, let's briefly discuss the most recent signing to our knowledge, Eric Kubo Torres transfer from club Tijuana coming back to the MLS he had, he had a great success at Chivas USA. He had an up-and-down career with Houston Dynamo, but before he left Houston, like finished in stellar form and was sold to Liga MX, where he, he never really quite got a foothold on the team there. Yeah. But bringing Cuba Torres back to MLS, I think this is a huge signing. It is the exact type of move Atlanta United need to make under the salary cap restrictions to be a good placeholder while joseph martinez is out and really be a great backup when joseph is in yeah i'm excited about this blake what do you I, think? I think he's got a ton of potential but to bring it down to earth in four years he's only scored four goals <laughs> as a striker 
And the thing I'm most excited about, Eric Cubo Torres, is if you rewind like two years ago, Joe, we came up with a little song, uh, and it was a ripoff of the old Fernando Torres song at Liverpool, but it was for it was for Tito Vijaba. Um, you know, it was like Tata said he wanted goals, Tito, Tito. Tito. We can bring it back, but we can actually have the correct name now. Torres, Torres, da, 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 Torres, Torres. So if you guys are listening, send us some uh, some song lyrics. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. But the thing is, he's going to have to score goals. You said he scored four in the past few years. Now, he, if you count his Continental Cups, you know, the League Cups and everything, he's got that mark up to seven. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's but, had a rough four years. But, I mean, you know, we all we all went to college one time. You know, I had a rough four years, you know, at least well, well, let me kinda, body. Let me break it down for you, Blake, and what's going on with, with old Kubo. You know, he, he started with uh, last year at MLS. He was a designated player for Houston, and they hated him at the beginning because he was not producing – they loaned him to the Liga MX, uh, Chivas Guadalajara, and then they came. He got a couple other loan spells. Came back in 2017, scored 14 goals in 27 games. Which, outside of Joseph Martinez, that is a, a devastating, uh, really high profile rate that you would take with a lot of other players on our team. Matter of fact, not a single other player on our team in the league history has scored 14 goals in a single season. So I would take that that goal scoring rate if he could get back to that form, and so they used that at Houston did, and they tr- they transferred him over to Liga MX, where he came in and he he looked like he was a pretty good player, but he kept getting loaned from here there here and there, and under one coach he scored most of his goals. He was a starter for Tijuana. He was looking really good, but then they kept bringing in guys to that would supplant him. Most lamely that you guys might know, Gustavo Bo, uh, the designated player recently for New England Revolution, he was ahead of Cubo Torres in Liga MX on the same team for a while, and that's why Cubo could never see the field. And, and and so he went from MLS to Liga MX, and Liga MX is a little bit higher caliber of a league because they don't have a salary cap hindering them down. So he he did he struggled quite a bit going to Liga MX. I think the move back to MLS now he's 27 which should be your prime years he could be in the league where it suits him the best we could really see a resurgence of Cubo Torres if he's given the proper playing time and and he's gonna be this is the guy we're bringing in uh I think the front office saw as much as they want to see of Adam John I think Adam John will stick around on the roster till the end of the year but I think that I think I've seen that, as much as I want to see of Adam John. <laughs> but I, I think that Torres is going to be our starting striker until Joseph Martinez is back. We place Joseph Martinez on that season-ending injury replacement list. Uh, so Joseph is officially out for the entire season. Torres is coming in, and I think it does give him an excellent resume to build on why he should be the backup for when Joseph comes back in because we've needed a solid backup striker. If he comes on and scores a goal every two or three games. We'll take it. That would be a great return. Uh, you know, I expect more from him, honestly, just because I, w- I want to win games, and he's got great players around him. But Torres coming in is an exciting signing, even if he hasn't performed the last couple of years. And and honestly, we'll take whatever we can get right now. Uh, against, like, Adam John starting up front, I'll take Torres any day. And this guy's got a good resume. He can produce goals. He just has to have the right players around him. Hopefully he can find that finishing touch, and when he gets the opportunity, put it in the back of the net because, man, it's been too long since I've seen one hit the back of the net. Way too long. Yeah, I, 
I'm getting kind of stinky because I have not taken a beer shower yeah. lately. So I need a shower. Yeah. And, and let's move on to the other guy we signed recently. Well, not Atlanta, but Atlanta United 2 officially signed Eric Lopez and officially Atlanta United 2 has the highest salary payments in all of USL. This is a, this is a play that like Red Bulls have, have used before. Other teams with a two-club down in the USL. Atlanta United signed Eric Lopez. Let's be honest. We used Atlanta United funds. This is a little workaround. Bocanegra told him that he's going to play for ATL United 1. And he even said immediately as following the MLS's back tournament, which is over for us. So I expect Eric Lopez to see the field this year as well. So all of a sudden we have some attacking depth. Tell me about what you know about Eric Lopez, Joe, and then I'll, I'll tell you what I know because this is a young player with a lot of potential. Yeah, yeah. right before I talk about that, you said immediately following the tournament. Uh, for you, those of you that don't know, MLS is supposed to start the weekend of August 22nd. After the tournament is closed, they're going to give them about two weeks off, two and a half weeks off, and then they're going to start the the whole league back up as a traveling league with no fans in front of it on August 22nd. So so be mindful of that. that that's going to be in the next podcast and, and stories to come. But yeah, we signed Eric Lopez, and he comes to Atlanta knowing that he was signing an Atlanta United 2 con- contract, but fully expecting to be part of Atlanta United's first team. And why shouldn't he be? He got a $3 million transfer fee. That That's no joke in the MLS. Uh, and this is a young kid, 19, played for Olympia in Paraguay. And he he's just developed through the league so much so that he got several first-team starts, scored first four first-team goals over that course of the year. And he's been a really good stalwart of the youth team in Paraguay. So is this a, a Miggy in the making or in the future might be playing right up alongside Miguel Amaron and Tito Vialba for that matter and Kaku of the Red Bulls who we don't want to talk about? Yeah. It very well could be. Well, you know, it's great. It's great that he's got the the Paraguayan roots. I think it's great that he comes in. He's actually just 18 still. He hasn't even turned 19 yet. And he comes in where he can really build a career here. This is a signing for the long term. This isn't like we're going to throw him out on the front lines day one. That's going to be reserved for Torres. But, man, this is, this is, this is the kind of signings our front office – we know them to make. They're going to sign. This is this is more uh, not even of the Barco mold. He's almost like a tier below where Barco was when he came in. This is a guy that could be here for four or five years, maybe even after that, and still not be in the prime of his career, building up his value. And this is a long-term play. This is a long-term investment. This is buying low. Even though it was a heavy transfer fee for a, for a USL team, we, we really are buying low at what we think this kid's potential is. And, and I'm excited to see him play, man. He's, he's a short guy. He's 5'9", just 150 pounds. You and I could probably lift him up just with like one arm because we've been lifting so much in the, uh, in the quarantine. <laughs> but let's see him play. Let's see what he's got. But no pressure on the kid, which is a great situation to go into. He, he's going to come in fairly low expectations under the radar, but a bag full of potential. Yeah, and Blake, we, one more thing we got to mention that to some of our fans out there that, that might not know what's going to go on in 2021 uh, MLS has been talking about changing the designated player rule and allowing you to have extra designated players. If those players are under the age of 22. So there's a big push in the league to start getting these young, very high uh, growth players that have high potential 
and to sell them on later to really bring up the youth and, and, and the, the level of the league. So there is potential. I don't know what the terms are going to be, whether you can have three young designated players and three older designated players, or if it's going to be kind of a somewhere in the middle of that. But it, it, that's why we're going out and getting these young players. So Eric Lopez is going to be under that young designated player rule that's supposed to happen next season. But Atlanta did not stop there, and, and I want to move on to the very next. This is all hot rumor, but by the time we release this podcast, I would not be surprised if Jonathan Gonzalez from Monterey, the U.S. Mexican national player, is signed by Atlanta United. And I think this would be a coup for Atlanta United to sign a player of his caliber. This is something that has to happen, and if it doesn't, I will be devastated. Yeah. Blake – what do you know about Jonathan Gonzalez? Well, let's talk about devastated. I think the entire fan base of the U.S. men's national team was devastated when a American-born prodigy, born in Santa Rosa, California, Jonathan Gonzalez. He's only 21, by the way. Incredible midfielder. I would I would call him the closest replacement to Darlington Nagby we could possibly come up with. And he chose to play for Mexico. So he's playing for Tata Martino. Now and he chose the Mexican national team. Going back to his Mexican roots, I understand it, but man, that hurt as a U.S. national team fan when he chose Mexico over the U.S. because he's such a hot yeah, prospect. Blake, Blake, I was crushed when that app actually happened. It, it definitely hurt me. I was a little upset at this guy, but then over the next couple of years, I saw the development of Weston McKinney over in the Bundesliga, and then right behind him, Tyler Adams. Uh, a Red Bulls prospect, and then he went to the Bundesliga. And the two of them, a year younger than Jonathan Gonzalez, have progressed at such a rap, more rapid pace than Jonathan Gonzalez that it really eased my pain. And so this is a guy in the mold of those two players, maybe not quite their level yet, but surely has their potential. So it definitely excites me that he's an Atlanta United prospect. And let, let me tell you guys, if you're not familiar, Jonathan Gonzalez is a central midfielder. He's a mainly defensive midfielder, has the ability to be a box-to-box player. And, and so it would be the Nagby replacement, but he's not quite the same player as Darlington Nagby. You know, they've, they've got similar similarities, but they also have big differences. Whereas when I see Nagby, he's a guy silky smooth on the ball. He hits the ball, no one's going to take it away from him, and he's not going to miss a pass. But also that's because most of Nagby's passes – are the simple side-to-side, calm it down, slow it down type of pass, regain composure. Jonathan Gonzalez is also a very good dribbler, great passer of the ball, takes a lot of those side-to-side passes and controls the game. But the one difference I see between the two is Jonathan Gonzalez is not afraid to try to hit that long ball, try to hit that big diagonal cross to open up space on the other team. And that could be a huge benefit in a little bit different style than Nagby that we see. And the potential of Jonathan Gonzalez is so much more than the potential of yeah. Nagby. Yeah, and he's actually already announced on, on Instagram that it was his last game for Monterey. And uh, apparently the only other club that's involved in this decision is actually a La Liga side in Spain, Celta Vigo. Uh, so Celta Vigo is a big name in Spain. That, that could be a very tempting offer for him. We've heard that Atlanta United's offer right now is $10 million. Uh, option to buy starting out as a loan until January. So a loan with an option to buy. That's how we brought in Joseph Martinez. I like the legs this rumor has, Joe. Before we move on, I'm stoked yeah. about the potential of Jonathan Gonzalez. I don't want to jump the gun. Let's talk about one more player that's joined our squad that we haven't yet hit, 
haven't yet seen hit the field. And, and damn, it's, it's Jurgen Dam. Jurgen Dom. It's the Buford Dam. It's Dam. And he's, he's one of the fastest players to ever play the game of soccer. And he's coming to the Mercedes-Benz turf, which we know you can fly on. I'm excited about, about Dam. And, 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 and I think people have just kind of forgotten about him. And besides all the, all the damn son jokes that are going to be happening in the stands once we're back in the bins, I really think this guy could produce for us. He gives us speed on the wings that we haven't seen since Tito Vijaba. And, and that's, that's something that we've needed. We, we've had trouble breaking down teams. A lot of times we've been playing Petey and Barco out on the wing. They're good technical players, but they don't have that acceleration and speed that, that Dam has. And, and I'm, I'm incredibly excited about him coming into the team and seeing him on the field once MLS gets back this year. Yeah, I, I'm very excited about this prospect. You know, Jurgen Dam did not have the greatest success at Tigres, but let's be honest, Liga MX is a very high quality league. And to break through on the starting lineup to be a regular starter, if you were to come to MLS that way, you're going to be a designated player. So he wasn't quite a regular starter, but he saw regular minutes in Liga MX, which means we're able to bring him in, not as a designated player. So this guy could come in and light up the league. You know he's going to give other MLS defenders fits with his speed and the way he can get behind a player. And I said this on the last episode uh, when we briefly talked about Jurgen Dam. He has a similar speed to Tito Vialba, but he has a different game style that I'm really interested to see how it plays out. Where Tito had one speed on off, he would run at you full speed, make his move, sometimes run straight into you. Jurgen Dam has really good change of pace, and he can beat you by slowing down, speeding up, going mid-pace, and then turning on the Jets. It's going to be really fun to see how he does. And I think once he, he has Joseph Martinez on the field to him, he's just going to be the the new Julian Gressel and that he's Joseph Martinez's number one assistant. Hopefully so, man. Hopefully so. Because it, it's bags of potential, right? He's still only 27 years old. And I wasn't just kidding about him being one of the fastest players in the world. He was actually in a study conducted and backed by FIFA. He is currently the second fastest player in the world. He actually reached 22 miles an hour running with the ball. Not just running on a dead sprint. With the ball, this guy was going 22 miles an hour. I'm curious what Miguel that, Amaron does. You know, we that all, is insane speed. We all thought Miguel Amaron looked faster with the ball at his feet. So I'm really curious what Miguel's clocked speed is with the ball at his feet. But you said, did you say 21 or 22 miles per hour? 21.89 miles per hour. That's crazy because I think Julio Jones was clocked running the ball down for like an 80-yard touchdown or 70-yard touchdown, and he hit around that 21 miles per hour speed as well. So just imagine Julio Jones' speed on the soccer pitch. Yeah, Jurgen, Jurgen Dom would beat him in a foot race, which is pretty amazing to think about. So excited about these new players, really excited about the one potential new player joining our squad, Joe. I, I do think all of a sudden the sun is the sun is starting to come out in Atlanta again. And 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 we have a at least as a fan base, we have the confidence that our front office is willing to act on mediocrity. And and I think that's my biggest takeaway from from everything we've talked about today so far, is that we're not just resting on our laurels. I really don't think, and I, I brought it up at the beginning of the show, I really don't think we're rebuilding and we're just chalking this up as a rebuilding year. I think we're bringing in talent for the future. 
talent like Eric Lopez, but I also think we're bringing in solid backups for the now, maybe starters for the now. And with a, with a rumor like Jonathan Gonzalez, I mean, that is a first name on the starting 11 type player that, that would slot in that Nagby role. I think Mo Adams' days might be limited in Atlanta. But I, I do have a lot of hope about the rest of this year. I have a lot of hope for the season. And, and it's just going to be fun to watch now because all the pressure's off. we got an interim coach. we got new players coming in. Like, let's just go out and have some fun. I mean, that's what I'm going to do. If, if, I'm, if I'm in the situation of, of you know, you, if I'm in Glass's position, I'm just going to say, hey, go out there, express yourselves, have fun. I'll come up with the lineup. We'll come out with a winning formation. We're going to play attacking football. And if we lose games four to three, man, I'll take that at this point. I'll take that over, over losing one nothing every game any day. I want to win four to three, though. That that's where the the flip needs to happen. Maybe we start losing four four to three, but then we really get clicking and start winning games four three four one four nothing three one three one three one. That'd be great. But okay, Blake, Blake, I do want to move on, and I, I want to talk about the players we do have on this team, especially the new signings, either that didn't get much playing time last season or just signed this off season, and now that we've had. These three MLS is back tournament games under our belt, plus the two regular season games, plus CONCACAF Champions League. You know, we got a little bit of a mold to see what some of our new signings have got. So let's kind of break down some of our players on the team. Have they impressed? Have they not? You know, maybe most of them are going to lean to they have not because we have not impressed much this season. Uh, I'll bring up a name and I want you to kind of talk about what you think about this guy and then I'll give my thoughts and, and we'll move down a, a small list here and, and see if we're on the same page or not. Brooks Lennon, former Liverpool Academy player, brought over to MLS by RSL and we got him, in my mind, as a Julian Gressel replacement. What are your thoughts on Brooks Lennon in this young season? You know, Brooks Lennon's interesting because Brooks Lennon really does have a ton of potential still. This is a guy that's 22 years old. He he grew up, obviously, playing for the, the U-17 U.S. national team, the U-18 national team, the U-20 national team. Once he hit that U-20 national team, he never made the jump up to the U.S. men's national team. He was a player at the youth level for Liverpool. Uh, went out to Real Salt Lake on loan when he was still signed by Liverpool. Real Salt Lake ended up signing him permanently. He made 61 appearances for Real Salt Lake in two years. That's, that's a good number of starts. And I, I think this is a player that has just not quite, for whatever reason, broken through that ceiling of his potential. Uh, he didn't make the jump up to the U.S. men's national team. His position is, is almost in question for me. Is he a winger? Is he a right back? Is he a wing back? You know, and so he really needs to find his identity in the team. Is he is he better at tracking back and defending? Is he better at playing up front? And I don't think the coaches really know either. I still like this signing, and I think Brooks Lennon has tons of potential. And obviously, as a as a you know as an American and as a as a fan of the men's national team, I'd love to see him work his way back into that that contention. But right now, I just would he's kind of meh. He's kind of meh. He he does everything right to a certain extent, but he doesn't he doesn't open up space. He's not creating opportunities. 
and and maybe that's just because he doesn't even know what his position is. That that's kind of my thoughts on Brooks Lennon. I I think there's better days ahead for Brooks Lennon, and I, I I don't I'm not ready to part ways with him in any way. All right, Blake. Uh, similar feel. So Brooks Lennon, I was the first to say how excited I was he was on our team, and I thought he was going to get to Atlanta United and just be the best right back, right wing back in all the league, and I was going to be hands down. But ever since we signed him, I have not been impressed. You know, he, he does good enough to hold a starting position in the league, but it, you know, good enough is not good enough for Atlanta. And I want Atlanta United to be the best team in the league or at least fighting for that top spot. And we're not doing that. And Brooks Lennon is part of the reason why, you know, he, he's, he's not winning balls back defensively. He's sending in crosses to nobody, but maybe partly because a lot of his games are, have been without Joseph Martinez. So I'm curious to see if he has a good connection with Joseph when he's back in. But at the same time, he's not creating chances and he's not impressing me at all. So, you know, Brooks Lennon is, is way down on my list right now. I, I kind of want to move on. I will give him the benefit of the doubt and I, he does have the potential, but now I'm starting to think he might be one of those players that always has the potential, but never lives up to it. And, and I hope it's yeah. not the case, but that, that's what it's kind of looking like to me in this this early part of the season. So let's move on. Let, time, time will tell. Yeah, let, time will tell. So let's bring on another prospect we haven't really seen much of, and that is becoming a recurring statement with all of Atlanta United. But we brought in a Brazilian player with such high potential. We've never seen Brazilians on our team, and we got two this year. One we've already cut in Luis Nascimento. But Matthias Rosoto, still on the team. He played a little bit, but not much. He was kind of disappearing in that MLS's back tournament. What are your thoughts on Rosoto? Uh, I think he's been really unlucky. I think he came on in the CONCACAF Champions League uh, right when the pandemic was starting, and he got hurt. And we thought it was like a season-ending injury. Thankfully, it didn't end up being that serious. But he looked good in like the five minutes he was on in that match. And then... Honestly, he only got one other appearance in the MLS Cup as back tournament, and he was pretty he was pretty absent. I don't know if it was our play style. You know, he's only made two appearances for Land United. He he got like I can I can count on the you know one hand how many touches I felt like he got that game, maybe four or five touches. So I don't really think he's gotten to show his true style of play. I don't think he's gotten to show his true colors. He wears number nine, which you would think is a striker, but he's really an attacking midfielder. He's more of a ten. He's more of a guy that normally plays behind a striker. And, and he's really good at unlocking defenses. Um, he didn't score a lot of goals playing at his former club, uh, Atletico Paranaense. And then he went out on loan to Fiorvoria. Um Honestly, I, I just think that we don't know. This is a guy that, that did play in Serie A. I mean, he, he's got potential. He's 24 years old. We keep talking about potential, but we do have a team full of potential. This guy's got at least, you know, three years until he's supposed to hit his prime. I, I'm not, I, I just don't think the verdict's out because I don't think we have enough of a sample size to truly make a judgment on Rosetto. And really only one game, and it was that first game of MLS's back tournament. And honestly, Rosetto may have been our most absent player on the field, either him or Heinemann. Didn't know he was on the field until they showed a close-up of him because it was very bad. But the whole team was bad. So I'm going to give him a benefit of the doubt and see if he can 
rebuild himself and establish himself. And, you know, maybe he was playing way out of position, which going back to the beginning of our show with our interim coach, Stephen Glass, one of the first things Stephen Glass said in his opening interview is he saw a bunch of players playing out of position and that he wants to kind of rebuild the position and put players in roles where they can succeed. So maybe there is more chance for some of these guys. But moving on, let's talk about one of our bigger offseason signings, and it was our LGP replacement. You know, LGP demanded getting out of here and it had horrible head clashing with Frank DeBoer, that Frank debacle forced LGP out of town, maybe unfortunately. But we did sign a what a lot of people said a like-for-like like or similar caliber player in Fernando Meza. Meza started every game for us, and he's been a stalwart of that defense. What do you think about Meza so far? It's really tough to say. You know, when we're playing three at the back, playing with two other center backs, I think Meza would thrive in a partnership. I think Meza Robinson is something that people would like to see with like a traditional back four. I, I think Escobar has been super reckless playing as a center back. Not, not that we're talking about Escobar, but he just looked like he was out of control which he normally does. I think he's trying to take the LGP role. That's Escobar. Oh, yeah. Maze is more calm. He's more cool. He's more collected. Parkhurst. I will, I will say this. Meza has been solid. We haven't allowed a lot of goals. I mean, we haven't. I mean, we lost every game. Giving up one goal per game is not too bad of a stat if you score a lot of goals. But if you can't yeah, score, it, giving up one goal per game is, is not good. Yeah, exactly. So I think uh, I think if we were winning games, people would be talking about how well Mays is playing. I, I just think he's solid. I don't think he's going to wow anyone, and he doesn't have the aggression and the tenacity that LGB had, so he's not going to be really flashy. He's not going to get a lot of cards. But I think he can be a great pairing for either Escobar or for Miles. Um, and I think with those three center backs, we can rotate them in. And, and I do expect us to go back to a 4-3-3. Yeah, I think the I think the three at the back experiment will be over uh, with with you know the coaching change and where we're looking to build and you know I I think he's done well I think I I have nothing negative to say about his play other than you know he can't really help us score goals maybe maybe on a corner but that's not his role and that's where we're lacking right now so I'd say positive for Meza right now all right well well real quickly Blake with Fernando Meza. I think he's getting an unfair comparison to LGP. And yeah, I just threw it out there, set you up kind of on a tee to talk about it. In all honesty, I think Fernando Meza's better comparison, he is more of a Michael Parkhurst style of player. You know, he's going to have that high soccer IQ, going to be the one that can sit back and control the defense and put him in the right position to play. He is not the LGP style, and you said it perfectly. The LGP replacement... Is Franco Escobar, whether he Escobar's playing in the center back position or playing as a right back, which I think I like him much better as a right back. So Fernando Meza, to me, he hasn't been overly impressive. And yeah, he was out of position once or twice during that tournament, but it wasn't necessarily just him out of position. The whole team was out of position. So it, he didn't really have the, the chance to show how great he can be and I do think he would be much better in a center back pairing of him and Miles Robinson could be one of the most strong center back pairings in the league if we were in a four-man back line so I do think we're going to switch to that and Meza although he hasn't like really impressed me he hasn't disappointed me either 
And I could say Michael Parkhurst is under the same mold. So that's what I think Meza was bringing in for the retired Parkhurst, and he's that switch. And then we have a young Miles Robinson who's supposed to be one of the best defenders in the league. And then the head case of Franco Escobar, who we love when he scores goals, but he's also that enforcer that won't be afraid to go in and get a yellow card or fly in studs up and like tiptoe the line of yellow or red card, which soccer teams that you need that type of player as long as they don't get constant red cards. So I kind of like our defense, but I want to move on. And maybe this is a great transition to kind of move from defense to offense. And let's talk a bit about Jake Mulraney, a guy who did get a red card in the MLS's back tournament, showed his face, but he's had some ups and downs. Blake, what do you think about Jake Mulraney, the guy we brought in from Ireland, the Irish national? I don't know if he's made a cap for the national team yet, but Jake Mulraney, what's your thoughts on him? This is a tough one too. I, I, I know I've said it all episode, but we really have built a team full of potential. This guy's 24. He's Irish. He, he, he honestly has only made four appearances for us. So all these guys we're talking about, we're working with a very small sample. And, you know. Well, you got to talk about the CONCACAF Champions League too. That's, that's three games right there. Yeah. It, it, it's just like he, he, he's, he reminds me, if we're going to compare him to a player that we recently signed, I mean, he reminds me of Brooks Lennon. I mean, other than his stupid red card that cost us that game against Cincinnati, I just don't feel like I've I've seen enough of Mulraney to really to really give you a verdict. I think I think he's got a lot of potential, and, and I hate saying that, but I really think we can't just you know say, oh, Mulraney, he's garbage. We just haven't seen enough of him. That's that's my thoughts. All right, so let's move on real quick. Like as we're talking way too much about this, maybe let's bring in a guy that we have had a big sample size of, someone who's still kind of new for Atlanta United and just got a big contract. And let's make this the last guy we're talking about because we're just kind of going through all the teams. But I really want to bring up this guy because he's now under $900,000, close to a million-dollar contract, and that's Emerson Hindman. Now that we've had a half a season with him and now he's a permanent starter in a a TAM-level player for us, what do you think Emerson Hyman has brought to the table? Oh, man, I like I really wanted to I really wanted to see him develop and build on last year. We took a gamble on him. We paid the guy, right? He made 15 appearances for us last year. That's a lot of games. We paid him and not Gretzel. You know, he he threw in a couple goals. I just feel like he is a guy that I'm not going to use the P word. I'm not going to use potential, but I, I think he's a guy that <laughs> can do a really good job in the midfield, but he needs the right players around him. And I think right now he doesn't have the right players around him. I think that Heinemann is a little more creative. He's a little more forward thinking. He's not quite a 10, but he he definitely has that style of play where he's looking to advance the ball when he gets it. Uh, whereas Nagby last year looked to recycle the ball. Nagby would mop it up. Nagby would play back passes. He would keep possession. He could take on a defender one-on-one and, and keep the ball. Heinemann needs good midfield players around him. And that's why the Gonzalez signing has me so excited because if you put, if you put Heinemann and Gonzalez in the midfield with a, with a solid six behind him, you know, a guy like, let's, I, I really think Eric Rometty still has the potential, but even an, an old guy in Larry, Jeff Lorenowitz, I think that's a pretty scary midfield three. So it, it's time will tell with this one. 
let's give Heinemann at least this year before we make a verdict. But he's got a lot to prove. He's got a big paycheck, and that comes with pressure. So he's got to, he's got to make his money. But I, I do think he's one of those guys that if you put the right players around him, he can be a key piece in the okay, team. Okay, well said. And and so Heinemann, to me, I think he's shown flashes of quality. You know, he scored a couple of goals and had a good, good couple of assists. But he's also shown times where he disappears. And I might say the same thing about Heinemann that I said about Rosetto. Uh, He may have been a player that has been forced to play a little bit out of position, maybe playing too high up the pitch or forced to play more of a controlling midfield. But honestly, Blake, I don't know what Heinemann's best position is. And and you say he could be a good pairing with Jonathan Gonzalez. Maybe, but I I really don't know. I'm not impressed with Heinemann so far. Outside of a couple of great goals that he has scored or crucial times when he scored them, I'm not impressed. I do hope we get Jonathan Gonzalez and he just makes whoever's around him better. I do think uh, Jonathan Gonzalez and Eric Rometty pairing in the midfield would be very good in this league, especially if there's a lot of South American talent around them. But Heinemann is not impressing me so far this year. And, and he's a guy that came in from the European leagues. He played for Fulham. By the way, congratulations to Fulham being recently promoted to the Premier League. And he played a little bit with Bournemouth. So he's played in, in some really tough competition in his career, but then he got sent to the MLS. So Heinemann's still a case to be seen. I don't personally understand why we paid him so much money, especially when we had a guy like Julian Gressel who was drafted by us and proven that he was a great player when he was on the field with us. I would trade Emerson Heinemann for Julian Gressel every day of the week, and I kind of regret that. Yeah. So I know Brooks Lennon to me was the the, the Gressel replacement, but Heinemann was the one that took Julian Gressel's money. So I'm a little upset about that. And Emerson Heinemann, you're on the hot seat in my book. Let's see what he's got. Got a lot of games left. And Heinemann, we'll we'll see. Time will tell. I'll keep saying it. Time will tell. We got a lot to prove on the field. Joe, wrapping up here, I just got to know, man, you know, we've done this whole episode. Your shirt is still off. Is it off? I, I know you said you're at the beach, but is it off in anticipation of us finally scoring a goal? Or like, what's your true motive here? Are you, are you trying to flex? Like, to be honest with you, I'm I'm not super aroused by you being shirtless. I was getting ready for the beer shower when, you know, I told you earlier I, w- I was going to do a beer shower when Pochettino becomes our new manager. But then you instantly upgraded that bet into tattoos, which luckily I mutually agreed that you would get a tattoo with me. And as much as I want Pochettino as a, our manager, I would be very upset if I had to get a tattoo of him. But I think I would have to honor it since we kind of put it out into the podcast airwaves. Oh, bet's a bet. So we're both getting tattoos if we get Mauricio. But you asked me why my shirt's still off. I, I don't know. It just kind of stays off these days. And, and just hoping, you know, I used to rip my shirt off every time Atlanta United scored a goal, or at least scored a second goal, and it got really hype in the bins. And I hadn't done that since DeBoring became our our manager. So I'm really just hoping that we get one of these lovely Argentine-built coaches, managers to come in. And, and who knows? Maybe Darren Eels, Mr. Eagles himself, can pull some of his magic and go back to his former club of Tottenham and have the ties there to get Pochettino to finally come to the MLS. And then Atlanta United will become the number one team in the world. Just like 
all my dreams tell me that it's going to happen. Okay. So with that, well, uh, yeah. As you keep your shirt off, just make sure before you put it back on, uh, go go find a nice mirror and figure out where that tattoo is going to go, and uh, and I'll see you next week or whenever we record again. We'll record soon. We promise. We're going to record soon, whether it's next week or two weeks from now. Just keep an eye out on your your podcast app, and if you guys haven't yet, please give us a five star rating and, and just comment about how great we are because I like your wonderful comments. Yeah, or just shoot us straight and and criticize us for all the dumb stuff we talk about. We'll take either one. We hope everyone's well. We hope everyone's healthy, safe, and all those things that you get emails about every day. Hope you're healthy and safe. I'm trying to be. We'll see you guys soon. Thanks for tuning in. Till then, dream about beer showers. I'll do one right now for you. Find a place for that tattoo, Joe. See ya.